I think it's profound and powerful that every one of us in this room as a believer, by the word of the Lord, are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. That God would work in such a way as to be resident within you and me. That in the essence and the soul of the human personality, for all who are saved by grace, become the host and the house of his presence. Peter talking to those that he was pastoring, he said, you see all of these actual houses around you. You see those bricks that are being laid as the building is constructed. Then he looked at them and he said, God is building of you a spiritual house. And his presence resides in you. This was such a profound truth because all of those people would be aware of the Old Testament way of where the presence of God was confined in this Ark of the Covenant, the glory only experienced by the high priest who only could experience that presence on one day of the year called the Day of Atonement. Track with me, it was Moses that got the specifics on the construction of the Ark of the Covenant. And then he was led to make sure this staff that Aaron used was placed in that Ark and then the Ten Commandments, and finally, some manna. And so this Ark of the Covenant that became symbolic and literally the place where the presence of God resided was a place that was a reminder of God's word, God's provision, and God's power. It was reverenced. It was awesome because it was the presence of God. The presence of the Lord settled in on that mercy seat. It is why you see when, when Joshua led the people across the Jordan River, which was at flood stage, it was the priests that were called upon to take that presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, entered first, and by the divine power of God, the Jordan River was rolled back, even at flood stage. The wall of Jericho came down only because of the presence of God. That Ark of the Covenant was marched around that wall, and only by the power of God could that happen. Now, King Saul became, became negligent with the presence of God, and the enemy, the Philistines, they, they had, you know, the right mind. It's like, whoever has that, the Ark of the Covenant, wins, so we're going to go get it. Well, they did. They took it, and when they took it into their villages, let me just give you a little reminder of what happened. In one, they set it right by their false god called Dagon, this idol. When they came out the next morning, their false god had fallen down. They thought someone has rushed in and done this in the night. It happened the next day. The third day, it had crumbled into pieces. And they realized nobody is rushing in and doing this. It's this Ark of the Covenant. It was when you put light next to darkness, the light always wins. It was God being God all by himself. It was the profound power of God. Now, fast forwarding, David's like, we need to get the ark back and get it into Jerusalem. And 
and honor and reverence the presence and the power of God. He established that it would be three months to get everything ready. And so the ark ended up at Obed-Edom's house. Read about that. It's fascinating. Can you imagine that the ark of the covenant, you, you get designated, it's going to be at your house for the next three months. I will tell you that it changed that house. And if you track through the story of that family, you will see that there was a spiritual strength and a stamina. And it all traces back to how the presence of God changes a home, changes a family, changes a future. When the presence of God, when it was time for it to come to Jerusalem, Obed-Edom, he was so profoundly changed by having the presence of God in his home that he did everything he could to be near the presence of God. David needed people to make sure everything was kept just so-so. Obed-Edom says, I'll volunteer. He needed musicians. He said, I'll volunteer. He needed singers. Can you sing? Doesn't matter. If it gets me close to the presence of God, count me. He said, I need some doorkeepers. I need some gatekeepers that will just stand. Count me in. It's showing that here's a man going, one day, one day, I've had it in my house, one day in the presence of God is greater, stronger than a thousand anywhere else. Come on, give God praise if you know what I'm talking about. The presence of God makes all the difference. But at this point, think about this man, Obed-Edom. He could get just so close once David had everything ready. He kind of created this, this fascinating tent where Moses had this mobile tabernacle. David established this tent there in Jerusalem. And now it would be placed, and you can read about how when they brought the Ark of the Covenant in, they wouldn't go more than six steps without stopping and giving praise. This is where David, like, gave God praise to the point that his wife was complaining about him. He said, I'll get even more. I'll get even more undignified. Is that a word? Good. Because <laughs> that, that's what I'm talking about. Like, he, he didn't care because it was about God. I just want to say this. I, I'm all for excellence, and I'm all for dignity, and I, I, I'm all about that. But I want to tell you, when you are visiting back through the memory of your own salvation, and you recall how he found you, what he did to save you, the change that he's made, when we start singing stuff like, hell lost another one, and I am free, I'm telling you, it gets in my soul, it gets in my hands, it gets in my feet. Hey, I get emotional about other things, but nothing compares with the profound salvation that God has given through his own sacrifice. And like David, I just want to give him praise with all of my heart, with all of my strength, with all of my might. Can we just give a moment of praise to God? He's so good. He's so good. Oh, he's so good. He found me, lifted me, changed me. And now as it's in this, this tent, David's like, ah, oh, God, we need to build a temple. And God gave David the plan, but he said, your son will have to build it. And Solomon follows up, builds what is known as Solomon's temple. That's where we will 
pick up our reading today. Let me show you an artist's rendering of the temple. And it was magnificent. It, as you read all through Second Chronicles, you, you got to be careful because you can get lost. There's all these measurements and walls and fabrics and interior decoration and colors. All of it has significance. And, and I would love to speak to every specific. Today, I just want to zone in starting at Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 8. It says, he made the most holy place 30 feet wide, corresponding to the width of the temple and 30 feet deep. He overlaid its interior with 23 tons of fine gold. He made two figures shaped like cherubim, overlaid them with gold, and placed them in the most holy place. Skipping to chapter 5, verse 7. The priests, oh, what a moment. Then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple. We just read the dimensions of that inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, the most holy place. And they put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. We'll, we'll focus in on this rendering of the holy of holies, these magnificent cherubim. And then the ark of the covenant brought in and placed this presence of God, the power of God, the truth of God, now placed in this magnificent temple. We'll continue in chapter 5, the second part of verse 13. The temple, here's what happened. It was filled with the cloud. The priests, they couldn't even perform their service. It would be like modern day, I, I couldn't even speak, like, overwhelmed, driven, driven to our knees in honor because of the cloud. The glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Would you welcome that today? Would you welcome the glory of the Lord to where we're just on our faces in honor, in reverence, in praise, never trivializing the glory and the greatness of God, praising him for all that he is. Let's continue Chapter 3, verse 14, I want you to see that across the entrance of this most holy place, there was a curtain. It was made of linen. Here we get the colors of blue, purple, and scarlet. And it was embroidered with the figures of cherubim. So as you came into that 30 by 30 holy of holies, there was a curtain. And you would see these cherubim also on the curtain as if to be guarding this holy place. And no one got to go beyond that veil except for the high priest one day a year called the Day of Atonement. When you think about this, I pray it starts connecting with what Isaiah saw. I pray it starts connecting with what John saw in the Revelation. I'll reference that in a moment. But this partition, it separated us from the presence of God, where only that person under specific regulations as a high priest could experience it just one day of the year. Let me shift the scene now. We're going somewhere. We're now outside in the, the outlined areas where Solomon is going to stand, and he starts what is to us a 26-verse dedication prayer, a dedication of the temple He talks about the greatness of God in this prayer. 
He talks about the people of God being faithful, but should they drift? Oh God, would you be faithful to help us if we repent? And then it comes toward the end, picking it up, chapter six, verse 41. Now arise, Lord God, come to your resting place. You in the ark of your might. May your priests, Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your faithful people rejoice in your goodness. Continuing with the prayer, it tells us that when Solomon finished praying, fire came down. Imagine the scene. All these people gathered, and this fire comes down from heaven. They knew this was not a normal fire. It consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now the priests, they couldn't even take a step. They couldn't even enter to perform their ministry because of the glory of God that so filled that temple. It was the manifest presence of God. It's awesome, isn't it? Now, I started with the with a reminder, and I want to say it again. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. When you come forward through the work of Jesus, his birth, his sinless life, his death, and his resurrection, then you move forward to his ascension. Then you're going to see the provision of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, now. This, is, this blows my mind. Now. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we'll go there. The church, the 120, they're in the upper room. You know the story. The promise of the Father is going to be given. There's this violent wind. It's coming from heaven. It's not ordinary. And then here comes the fire, just like we saw in the Old Testament. Now we see this fire but notice it's not about the building, the tongues of fire that separated and it came to rest on each of, say that word with me, each of, now it's people. Next verse, all of, say it, all of them. It's not about a building. Now this glory, this consuming presence, this is the same presence that caused the Jordan River to roll back. This was the presence it caused the wall of Jericho to come down. This was the presence that when it went before the people of God into battle, the people of God always won. This is the presence of God culminating in Jesus who was tempted in all points. You know about the temptation of Jesus, yet he did not sin. He had fasted 40 days and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Don't ever let some preacher stand up and say, and the devil came at him at his weakest. When you have sought God for 40 days, you are at your strongest. And Jesus responded to the temptations of the devil with the same thing you and I respond with, with the word of God. It is written. And then he offered himself as the sacrifice and the high priest died on the cross Whew. Three days later, he rose again. <clears throat> and then 50 days later, 
the Holy Spirit is poured out. And it says it's set on each of them. It filled each of them. And what do you see then unfold in the rest of the book of Acts? A church that was overflowing with Jesus. The only way we can overflow with Jesus is if there's provision made for Jesus to be within us. Because I can't give you something I don't have. I can't live out of something that's not within me. And I'm so blessed today that Jesus is Christ within me, the hope of glory. Come on, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. John picked up on it and said, it's going to be like a fountain. Mm. You know about a fountain. That's going to be the presence of God within you, but it, it, it's too much to just reside within. It's going to overflow. Come on, let's press into this. What about that curtain? Matthew 27, verse 50. When Jesus had cried out from the cross with a loud voice and gave up his spirit, at that moment, the curtain of the temple were now forwarded into Herod's temple. That curtain was torn into, I love this part, from top to bottom. You could preach a whole sermon. It was part of the confirmation and the validity of this entire story that that veil was rent. It was ripped. It was torn from top to bottom. At that point, this presence that was confined to one day a year, one high priest, Now access, we are about to have church. Now access has been granted. Now watch the next part. Watch what happens. The earth shook. This is how pr profound the presence of God is. When the presence of God was released, the earth shook. Rocks split. Tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. This is even before Jesus had risen from the dead. This is the profound presence and power of the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, be our teacher today. We should look at this at the level that now you're the spiritual house. You're the host of the presence of God. The presence of God is in you. But then when it overflows through you, we should have a high expectation of its impact because if the moment the presence of God was released, rocks were splitting in two and dead people were coming back to life, don't you think we can win the loss, we can make disciples, we can advance the church in 2022? It's the same spirit. Let's keep pressing, let's keep pressing this. In Acts chapter 2, we saw the church was filled with the presence of God. Now watch in Acts chapter 2 or 3, the church is going to overflow. There's a man who hasn't taken a step. He's 40 years old. He's had some physical condition his entire life. Let that man serve as a picture of culture, as a picture of a broken world. This man he is begging just to get through another day because he's not found within culture anything that can address the genesis of his problem. There's nothing that he's found that can fix him. 
at the foundation. But here comes the church that is filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that is filled with the same spirit that took care of the Jordan and the wall of Jericho and Goliath and the fiery furnace and every other challenge. Here comes the church full of the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And when they speak to this man, in one moment, this man starts leaping and praising God. No one teaching him to walk. It is a divine miracle. God addressed the genesis of his problem, fixed him. He's the only one who can change your nature. He's the only one who can change your character. He's the only one who can deliver you from all that's happened in the past. You never, as a Christian, have to be a victim. Come on, let's press into this. Everything about cultures, you, you just can only improve so much. No, the gospel is about a truth that sets the captive free. It is about the profound truth that gets in the core of who you are. Come on. If the presence of God that raised Jesus is in my soul, depression's not too hard. Sickness is not too hard. Addiction is not too hard for God. Give the Lord a shout of praise. His presence, his power. Come on, church. There's nothing that compares with the presence of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The inner temple of the human personality is now filled with the glory of God. So many implications, so many, so many challenges. You know, I, I could just talk for a long time. I, I feel checked in my heart. We need to open our hearts to this. Give me just a few minutes to to take us into a time of response. It's early yet. We must be careful to never trivialize his presence. I know that he's Abba Father, but I'm never going to speak to him in a casual way. I know he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I know that he loves me and he's with me and he's for me. I love that. But he's God. He's God. And in no way will I trivialize him because if I dare do, I'll subtly start trying to reshape him into my image. And I'll end up with a cultural Christianity, not a biblical Christianity. I will end up with a God that I've created, not the one true God. And I will fall spiritually asleep in this deceptive work of the devil. Church, let's be fresh and awakened to the glory of God. This weight of the glory of God, it comes into this place today. You sense it. It presses in not to create a burden. It presses life. It presses power. It presses peace. I'll do my absolute best going forward as your pastor to always try to take, okay, here's the theology. 
Now here's an illustration and here's an application and give a, a practical takeaway because that's helpful and I believe in it. It's, it, it. There's no error in that. But in this culture, self-help subtly fixes us to give me the points, give me the principles, give me the how-tos. When, when what will anchor you when the darkness has come into your soul, what will anchor you if you ever get forced 386 feet deep below surface in a subway tunnel because an evil man has lost his mind? What'll keep you there is not a point. What'll keep you praising and holding on there is the presence of God. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not against the how-tos, but this I'm not up here to give you a TED Talk I'm up here to say, these are the oracles of God. This is the word of God. This is the truth that will bring freedom. It'll change your home like it changed Obed-Edom's home. I want to preach the presence until I see a man going, sign me up for what? Anything that gets me closer to the presence of God. Anything, because I've got a hunger Someone said, what would you like to see as one of the results of the Overflowing with Jesus series? A greater hunger, hungry hearts. Because if everyone in this, of us in this room come with a hunger in prayer and praise, get ready. Because God responds to that. So like the preacher asked this question, I was in this setting recently. And here was the question. What if we preach a sermon, no points, no practical takeaways. It's just about the glory. And I've already answered the question in my opinion, and that is, that's what anchors us. It's the presence that will anchor our souls. I've led from the beginning here as the pastor of this church that we would be passionate for the presence of of God. Help us, Pastor. Let me give you Psalm 145, 1 and 2. Psalm 145, 1 and 2. Look at these words with me, if you will. I will exalt you, my God, the King. Notice this word. I'll praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. So it Here's this link that from now on I'm going to praise you. And then he adds every day. So we know this, the call here, the, the illustration here is not someone who's in an, eternal, in an actual praise and worship service until Jesus comes. This is a lifestyle. This is someone who's living in a certain way and, and it's one of the best pictures of overflowing with Jesus. That word praise in the Hebrew is a it's a spear thrown. It's an arrow released. It's a coming forth. One aspect would be when we are together and we start praising God, there is a coming forth. I am, I am releasing praise like the arrow released from the bow to the God who has found me, saved me, and changed me. 
the God who I will never trivialize, the God who I'll never reshape in my own image, the God who resides within me, to that God, there will be a coming forth. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter a coming forth of praise to the Lord. Notice the next verses three and four. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Notice it's now the older communicating to the younger, but there's a certain way they communicate. Here's what it's saying. When we get to speak to this next generation, it could be your kids, this next generation that's in this church, that something comes over us when we tell them about Jesus. Oh, do you know how great? Do you know how great? Do you know how good? Do you know how faithful? When we talk to them about Jesus, something should be caught, not just taught. We say it in such a way they think, man, this is real to you. This is authentic to you. You talk like you know him. You talk like you've been talking to him today. You talk like you've been walking with him. You talk like it's gotten better from the day you got saved. You talk with a joy that just, it it seems that you're struggling with word, but I get it, I get it. You're commending to me the next generation of just how great God is. The one who defeated sin, the one who defeated death, the one who defeated hell, the one who defeated Satan. Give him the highest praise. Let's commend him and his greatness to the next generation. Come on, live a life so full of vitality that you don't even have to use words. Hallelujah. There's something so holy, so strategic that is happening. Worship team, if you'll join me as you continue into Psalm 145, you, you get another word for praise and it's people that are so convinced of the greatness of God that they praise him. And it's interesting, as they praise, they declare their need and they're praising God for an answer they haven't gotten yet. Now we know what that's about, right? You know what it is to say, Lord, I believe your promise on this. Left to myself, I'm gonna worry. Left to myself, I'm gonna be defeated. But Lord, you're out in front. You're a way maker. Your promise is sure. Your name is above it. And I'm praising you today for an answer I hadn't even received. There's a lot happening when we gather in the name of Jesus. I close with Solomon's words. Standing with me, everyone, if you will. Thank you so much. So when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They worshiped. They gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good. His love endures forever. These are people who couldn't even go beyond the veil. 
Yet their proximity still brought them to this place of gratitude, of reverence, of worship. The greatness of God coming forward through the gift of Jesus, his finished work at Calvary, his resurrection, his ascension through the heavenlies where he's now seated at the right hand of the Father and his faithfulness to send the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Now you and I are the temple. In this atmosphere, I'm gonna take you some moments. I'm gonna back out of this mic. And I want you to, as Paul said, contemplate the glory of God. That's the work of Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God. And he says, as you contemplate the glory of God, you will be transformed. I would encourage, if you're washed in the precious blood of Jesus, cleansed by that fountain that flowed from his own sacrifice. If by faith in his grace you have been saved, I would encourage you just to lift your hands and contemplate the glory of God. Thank you, Lord. 
there are people at the altar if you feel compelled some have just hit their knees and why don't you just come say I just want to go seek the Lord I want to go seek him I want to go pursue him in prayer and praise just come right now come come that's it that's it we've got hungry hearts we hunger after him we hunger after him we reverence him his glory is in this place that's it that's it it's a response to the presence of God. The presence of almighty God. That's it. Just keep coming. Say, I've never done that before. Just let it be your first time. Come on down. Seek him. Seek him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The love of God is here. God is in this place to honor his name. When he honors his name within your life, he honors his name as a savior, as one who can set you free, as one who gives peace, as one who gives joy. It's, it's the character and nature of God honoring his name in your life. Many people have come just to wait before him, but I feel very specifically to ask, if you recognize a stronghold in your life, the glory of God is exalted above that, prepared to break that. We're talking about the same spirit that raised Christ. It can break the stronghold in your heart and your life. It could be a way of thinking. It could be a pattern. It could be an addiction. Say, I need this stronghold broken. Why don't you just surrender to God? Why spend another hour struggling with that? Don't let pride or fear or anything keep you from going boldly to God with that. If that's you, just come forward. We'll believe God with you. We're, we're going to celebrate the victory that's going to come in your life. Say, that's me. You just come today. Come. The Spirit of the Lord is here. Let Him draw you. There's a mom. There's a dad. You're desperate. You should come to the altar. You should come to this altar. Some of you are you're fighting the weight of discouragement, maybe even depression. Could we trust that the Lord's glory is greater and can lift that off of you and give you, like clothe you in joy and victory and peace, like an inner healing? If that's you, come today. I need the Lord. I need Him. Respond to Him today. Let Him help you. Let him set you free. Let him change your life. Somebody here needs forgiveness. But I want you to know that along with forgiveness comes cleansing. Because somebody can wrap their mind around being forgiven, but can you really be clean? Can you really have a fresh start? He is faithful and he's just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And that, that is for somebody. If that is you, why don't you just come to the altar today? Be forgiven, be made clean, and worship Jesus from a pure heart. And you'll do that by the grace of God. Just come today and say, that's me. That's me. That's me. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Your church, Lord, your church, we seek your face. We seek your face. We want to be a church with a first love 
We want to be a church that honors your name. We want to be a church that is courageous and compassionate. Lord, your glory is the answer. Your glory is the answer. Your presence. How we love being in your presence. How awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And the glory of the Lord, this is where miracles can happen. He said, Pastor Ron, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. If that is you, would you just come forward today? Say, that's me. Come on up here. Say, I need a miracle. We're going to believe God. People are coming. That's it. Say, I need a miracle. God can do it. Anyone else? You just keep coming. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. Jesus, when you gave yourself to make atonement for our sins once and for all, it is in that atonement, it is in your shed blood that provision was made for divine intervention, for healing virtue to flow. It's like when we watch you on the pages of the New Testament. Men and women, all situations, but divine power flowed a virtue from you to them, and they were healed. A miracle happened. In Acts 3, from Peter and John, the Spirit of God flowed, and a miracle happened. Lord Jesus, we ask for those who have come forward today to be recipients of that virtue. You know the need. Let the power of God flow to that need and meet it. In Jesus' name we pray. We honor you and glorify you for what you're doing right now. Glorify your name in these situations. We're asking for miracles. We're asking for miracles in this room. Come on, church, let's call out to God. We're asking for miracles. Miracles, Lord, that would bring people to a new place and that would glorify your name. Cancer to be healed. Relationships to be healed. Emotional despair to be healed. Set people free and glorify your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Psalm 145, there is a, a praise that is offered that becomes unique to the others we talked about. And it's that praise that goes beyond joining in a song. 
it becomes the praise from your heart, from your story. Because you know exactly what Jesus has done for you. We'll sing here in a moment, but right now across this place, can we just honor the Lord with lifted hands and would you give him praise, just articulate praise for what you know he's done for you. Rehearse your salvation and give him praise for how he found you, for how merciful, how good, how forgiving he's been. That's it, just across this place. Feel that liberty to just tell Jesus how grateful you are. How grateful. No one else has that story. That's your story. Hallelujah. That's your story. That's your testimony turned into praise. What God has done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. us to step into declaring scripture and then we're going to worship the Lord. So worship team come on up with me and if you'll put the Philippians passage on the screen, fix your eyes on that screen please and out loud would you say these verses with me. Let's begin. Wherefore God also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father we'll give him praise today there's power <laughs> 